My name is Will Burns. This is the IT Superheroes Podcast presented by the Hill Country Tech Guys. Thanks for listening. All right, today we've got Daniel Ortiz. Daniel is one of our newest employees. I actually haven't got to meet you even nice formally in person yet, so nice to meet you, Daniel. Nice to meet you too, sir. Uh, so you got started, was it end of last week? Yeah, actually, this week, Monday. Monday oh, was Monday was your first time. Okay, yes. gotcha. Very cool. So what brought you to, to the uh, Hill Country Tech Guys? Uh, honestly, just the growth. That's what I really was attracted to, that there's so much room for growth. Um, coming from the corporate world, it's very black and white. You really don't have too much, you know, too much room for growth. <clears throat> you can, my, you know, my experience, I was coming from a small team. I think there was mm-hmm. only four of us, and that's including my manager. So mm. there really wasn't uh I think the other one of the main techs there had been there for about twenty something years. So oh damn! There was Long just time. no growth. There okay, was, so you were a mem- uh, so you were part of a larger corporation that had an IT team of four. Yes, and that was it. Four of us supporting up to three thousand users, three buildings worth. Dang! Yeah, that's that's a big company. <laughs> Where was was that based in Austin, San Antonio? San Antonio, San Antonio. Got gotcha. you. Oh, what what sector? Uh, banking. Banking. Okay, yep. cool. So, when did you get into IT? Ooh, I got into. A, I was prior military, so I, mm-hmm. that was actually what I first started. Uh, joined the army as IT, uh, twenty five Bravo, and then I just kind of went from there. I uh, got out and experimented with a few other uh, fields. I went into welding and uh, CDL and all that good stuff. Okay. But uh, when my daughter was about to be born, it kind of forced me back into IT. Gotcha. And that was less than five years ago at this point. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. So we've actually got a lot of military guys. I'm, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's a mistake. It's probably good on your resume. Uh, so when did you get into? You said the army. It's 2007. 2007 okay. is when I started IT, and then I just kind of been going at it ever since. Gotcha. So how old were you when you joined? 17. 17. 17. Wow. Mom had to sign a waiver. She wasn't too happy. <laughs> so what? I, I guess what prompted the uh, getting into the the i guess the 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 army so early uh honestly it was kind of like a family tradition um my dad had served my great-grandfather my grandfather everybody had pretty much been in since vietnam so it was kind of like a family tradition i honestly didn't even give college a second thought i was like i already know where i'm going oh wow so everybody did their sat i did my asvab and then uh, i graduated high school was it june 3rd and i want to say by june 19th i was already in basic Dang. So I got like two weeks to hang out, and then that was it. 2007. So that was a few years after we we invaded Iraq. Oh yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a if I'm gonna deploy. It was more like a where. Yeah. Into which one? So did did you end up in Iraq or Afghanistan? Afghanistan. Uh, we got sent. Or I deployed in 2010 to 11, and uh, we were I would deploy with a medical unit. Uh, so we were in the only army or the only medical unit in Helmand Province. Uh, if they didn't make it to us, chances they were they weren't going to make it to the, the nearest hospital. Dang, gosh! So it sounds like uh, if you're the only medical facility, it was pretty remote. We took everybody. Uh, yeah, we were we were literally. I mean, we were like the only medical unit in southwestern Afghanistan. Um, it just was not like I said. The nearest hospital besides us was Kandahar, and they were about a good forty-five minute helicopter ride. 
and yeah, that's helicopters driving. Uh, forget about it. It, it. You definitely weren't going to make it if it was going to be a drive. Gotcha. So is that the mountainous part of Afghanistan or is that the, the more? I would say more desert. Uh, more desert. Okay. Yeah, more desert. We, were, we weren't up north. Gotcha. Yeah. Because I've talked to, I think my, co- uh, my cousin-in-law was stationed in Afghanistan, but he was up north and he was in the mountains. And then I worked with someone previously who talked about how he was in Afghanistan and he was on a base and like it was always stressful, especially because the mountains, you were surrounded by mountains, so you never knew when something was going to get lobbed in or shot at. The interesting thing that happened is that when I was there, Osama got killed. So, and that happened right during Ramadan. So right afterwards, they, they definitely came back a little harder. Um, Dang. Letting us know how they felt about it. So first you're like, yay, wait a second. <laughs> They're coming. Yeah, it was kind of a celebration at first. Really didn't expect too much to change. I mean, we knew that the organization was still going to continue. They were still going to keep doing what they were doing. Um, and sure enough, yeah, like I said, right after Ramadan, they, they definitely let us know how they felt. Man. So um, so I guess this was a, a – a, um, was, was it a big base? How many people were uh, stationed there? Oh, no. We were like uh, – <clears throat> I would say like a resupply point. We were in Camp Dwyer. So really, I mean, it was just us, the Marines, and whatever special operations groups were coming in and out of there. Um, that's when I first learned about MARSOC. I didn't even know MARSOC was a thing. Um, I don't know what MARSOC is. What is MARSOC? <laughs> uh, so everybody has their own special forces. Uh, Marines recently, I want to say like 2012. I don't remember exactly the exact year, but I know that the Marines recently started up their own uh, special forces, and they're called MARSOC. And so we got to see some of those guys out there. And, I mean, it was pretty obvious. You know, they're rocking scars and, and beards. And you're like, yeah, I don't think that's uh, – I don't think that regular regular people get to get away with that. Mm-hmm. that so it, it, is, is it typical for bases to hold all different forms of, like, Army, Marines? Uh, I would say definitely for the global war on terrorism, um, that definitely became a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Kandahar was mainly an Air Force base. However, like you said, when I saw Navy, I saw Marines, I saw Army. Um, it was just all kind of joint base. So whatever, depending on what your mission was, uh, kind of. It's weird how it works. Like you have your own unit, but then you also have to follow underneath the uh, the base that you're under. Um, like, for example, obviously we were under, under the Marines. So we had to go by the commandant, whatever he decided to go through, or whatever changes wanted to be made on the base. Man, so for me, so it's not a big base, right? No, I would say max like maybe two miles, two miles big in radius. What's a big base then? Uh, it seems big, but I mean, in in reality, I mean, it's there's nothing there. I mean, we had one dining facility, we had one gym. Uh, our PX or our shopping center was a, a meal van attached to a tent, <laughs> and that was it. So supplies came in. If you didn't get your socks or get whatever you needed, within I would say about a day or so, two days, it was sold out. So it's like a good way to save money too. <laughs> absolutely, yes, absolutely. Uh, working out and and working, and that was pretty much our, our routine. Dang. So I guess this base, like any other base, depending on how big it is, it's just got like towers where people well, I guess what are what do the defenses look like when people are trying to attack they uh, like I said we were really small so we had uh, I'm trying to remember what they're called 
basically they're containers that hold sand so they would just take the the front loaders out there and just fill up the sand uh fill up so it was just t-walls there you go t-walls we had a lot of t-walls and we had uh the barriers that's really about it i mean we were out in the middle of nowhere we had one poor guy that made it i think they said he crawled like three four days or something like that before he finally reached our base jesus just Christ. to uh get lit up by the 50 cow within as soon as he got within like i'd say 200 yards they they tore that guy apart oh wait oh wait so he wasn't like the guy oh he was trying to attack us he he wasn't coming to visit he was definitely coming to try to do harm and uh the poor guy had been crawling for like three four days made it to our base wall and our security spotted him within about 200 yards and lit the guy up with the 50 cow so what the fuck? What did he think was gonna happen? I, I'm, I'm surprised he made it past the drones and everything that we had flying around. So I mean, I was kind of impressed, but at the same time, poor bastard. I mean, three days of crawling, and you know he hasn't been using the restroom or nothing, or you know ran out of water probably like a day ago, and made it all the way to our defenses within like 200 yards, and that was the end to him. Man, talk about that seems like a 100% suicide mission. It the mentality over there is very brutal. Um, women and children are just property out there. Um, it's just yeah. very different. Um, we, like I said, we were with the medical unit, so we had to take in everybody. Um, they would injure their own kids, and we knew that they were, I mean, like literally dipping babies into boiling milk. And what you knew that they were, it was on purpose because how else would they get an even burn across their legs? Um, what what was the purpose of them doing that? To come into the hospital, because their culture is women can't go anywhere by themselves. They have to be escorted by a man. So either the uncle, the father, some kind of male figure in the household is going to go with them. And then they would try to scope out our security to see how we did things. Um, do we pat people down when we got there? Uh. Um, where they could just try to look for vulnerabilities in any way, shape, or form. Jesus. So they're hurting their own children just to just to try to get in and just to try not even a guarantee just to try to see where they could maybe possibly injure us man that's rough so is there a big culture difference between may maybe the folks who live in the mountains as opposed to those who live in the desert from what i've talked to uh, a lot of my buddies because i've had buddies that went to both iraq and afghanistan mm. and they would say I mean, I might be wrong, but from the people that I've talked to, at least Iraq was a little more um, organized. They were more city-based. They had cities. They had, mm. you know, urban centers and stuff like that. Afghanistan is just rural. It's all tribes. There's really no, I think, I want to say Kabul is like the only city, which is their capital. And that, yeah. other than that, I mean, it's all tribal. So. One tribe might do things a little different. You know, this tribe might decide to cut your hands off. It just depends on what the tribe, what, what they're, you know, what they do. Man, yeah, I've read a lot and listened a lot. Um, there's just so many screwed up things that happened over there. And it didn't seem like there were, were good guys on either side. Now, I'm sure that there were fam families who wanted the best for their kids and wanted to do good but we ended up teaming up with warlords right and just we're, we're having to look the other way when it comes to like <laughs> i guess pedophilia and things like that i mean it was a culture shock like i said we were in the hospital so we had to document everything that they come in with yeah and what they leave with and whatnot and um 
you would always see people carrying like dip cans, except it's not dip. They're walking around with poppy in their dip cans. Mm. So after a couple of days of them being in the, you know, in the hospital, they start getting the shakes and we'd have to let them go outside and do their dip. I mean, we couldn't tell them no. Um, they just had to do it outside the hospital. And uh, Wait, so they had like crushed up poppy? Yeah, yeah. That they would... Mm-hmm. And then I guess it is it it had the the uh, opium effect. right right and that's how they would get their fix so like I said they would go a couple of days and they'd be okay but after about the third day they start getting the shakes and uh, we'd have to let them go outside and and do their thing. And well, I feel that way when I don't have coffee for like eight hours. <laughs> yeah, I can only yeah I mean whatever your thing is. I mean it's, <laughs> it's not like they're well I guess some of them are probably shooting heroin, but to me like. It's, it's it's almost the equivalent of like uh, of a, a, a cocoa leaf. Is the where is it in, in South America? Um, Co- yeah, so Co- those yeah. yeah they'll just chew on cocoa leaves, and it, to me that's like that's pretty natural <laughs> and that's pretty awesome. Like I want one of those to where I can just chew on it and I'm, I mean it's it's not cocaine like you're not, I guess out of your mind, but you are. It's, it's Probably more than, uh, I guess, than, than uh, drinking coffee. <laughs> their biggest complaint, uh, we would talk to some of the, the locals, and their biggest complaint is, well, cotton doesn't sell as, as good as, you know, opium. And I'm like, well, yeah, no one's addicted to cotton shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So they're open about growing poppies oh, and then selling open. marijuana poppies uh there really it's it's very common over there that is a common crop gotcha so when you interacted with locals like were, were there any story like positive stories negative stories like what was what was the general consensus or even uh extremes? usually usually it was pretty bad um it, it didn't go very well um Right around that time, there was a lot of changes being made. So they used to do a lot of IEDs through signals or through cell phones and stuff like that. And that's how they were detonating the IEDs. Mm. So they started getting smart. Well, we, you know, of course, just warfare progresses. So they were doing signal-based type IEDs. So we started getting smarter. We started uh, doing jammers. So then they went old school and they started doing it through wire. And then we started getting good at spotting the wires. So then they started going to pressure plates. Um, we would come up. The U.S. had like a, I don't even remember what it's called. Um, but basically it was like a huge trailer that would run in front of the vehicle. Um, and it would have like six, eight wheels or something like that. And wherever that truck turned, that trailer would go with them. So if we hit a pressure plated ID, it would usually blow up the trailer instead of the actual vehicle. Um, well, then they started getting smart about that, so they started daisy chaining or spreading out the pressure plate. So the pressure plate would be up here, but the actual detonation wouldn't happen until like two, three hundred feet behind them. So it was mm. just, you know, like I said, they, it would evolve. You know, it was a cat and mouse game of who trying to outsmart each other. Um, and a lot of the time, the civilians were really the ones that caught the the, the raw end of the deal on that one. Um, I was there for too many mass cows where literally bus loads of women and children hit a pressure plated id jesus christ and you know so a lot of the times it wasn't even really us that was you know the u.s per se that was messing up the civilians it was their own people doing it to themselves and yeah i uh, i'm sure most people have seen it but it seems like 
we spent a bunch of money and attempted to train those folks and it didn't take and they didn't seem like they wanted it and it, it, you know it's hard it's hard to to say on that because mm-hmm. we had to do some some training with ANAs the Afghan National Army and most of the guys that we saw were terrible there was no sense of patrioticness or, or sense of duty or whatever there you can tell they were just doing it because it's a paycheck mm. you know they were just there to get a paycheck um a lot of times if we came under attack or anything like that you would not see them be very quick to to try to defend anything mm. um they would kind of just let us do the work and then pop up at the end of it yeah, I guess they're more focused on their tribe as opposed to... <coughs> right, exactly. I mean, to them, yeah, it's... I guess Afghanistan is a place, but they are loyal to whatever local... And I mean, in all honesty, when you think about the history of Afghanistan, I mean, they've been getting invaded for, you know, since since the beginning of time, since, you know, the Great Britain tried it, you know, then Russia, then we did it, and, you know, everybody's tried it, apparently, um, but no one ever seems to succeed. Uh, it's just, uh, it's very different out there, and the landscape is so different. I mean, you can go from mountains to open deserts to, they even have, I want to say, swamp areas over there, you know, it's just, really? it's, it's very, very different. Yeah, I wonder why Afghanistan, as a compared to some other countries in, in the Middle East is still so remote and rural and how they've only got one major city. Because I think like most of the Middle East has been through the, the same occupation. So what is it like in a thousand AD, somewhere along the line, that area of the world, or I shouldn't say Afghanistan, but that, or that the Middle East was the mecca of civilization and they want to say that the first university that was ever created right. was in egypt cairo something like that i want to say yeah um and then was it the mongols came in flattened everything out and after the mongols held it for several centuries it was the ottomans the ottomans came in for several centuries and after that it was, I guess, the West. You know, the West is still still trying to <laughs> wiggle their way in there, but it's been unsuccessful. And I wonder, during that time, like, did the Mongols care about Afghanistan? Did they try to take it over? Or was it the, the same you know, as it is now? I, I can only imagine that it was still tribal then, and, and, you yeah. know, and I don't think it's changed much at all. You know, Like you said, I mean, it makes more sense. They don't really have a sense of a whole country being patriotic it's more of like you said tribal areas or just regions in general mm-hmm. yeah yeah i wish i had, would have read more on history of, about afghanistan and how it was formed and uh, was it just like a thousand different tribal lands where the english came in and said well you're now <laughs> afghanistan kind of like they did with iraq right it was at like 80 percent Sunni and like 20% Shiite, but they put the Shiites in power so that they were still dependent upon England or whoever, whichever Western power. And you see, it's funny you mentioned that as well, because Afghanistan, the crazy part is a lot of the people that we captured uh, over there of POWs and we would, you know, take pictures and do the biometrics and all that good stuff. A lot of them weren't even Afghani. 
Mm. They're, you know, they're coming in from Pakistan. They're coming in from different countries, just like Iraq. You know, all the Iraqis tried to flee, and all, any other terrorists is just a, it was just the fighting grounds. You know, whoever wants to take their shot at the Americans, go ahead and come through. Oh, and I wonder if that's the Taliban too. So the Taliban, I wonder if the Taliban isn't necessarily made up of a bunch of Afghanis that. It's, it's a mixed bag of everywhere. I mean, even Africa, a lot of people don't realize that Africa, you know, is, is taken off as well. You know, you got Boko Haram and all kinds of other groups over there running around. Yeah, I've heard about Boko Haram. That's a Christian sect, right? That's doing real violence. Because I think a lot of focus is placed on Islam and violence, which should be killing lots of people, innocent and Americans and whoever else. But I want to say the Boko Haram is like a religious Christian cult. I, I could be, I, I could know, be 100% wrong. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they're wrong. Christian. I think they're an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. Oh, uh, okay. They're one of Al-Qaeda's cousins or something like that. They, they've they definitely uh, picked up a lot of their traits. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, they're, even Africa, like I said, even Africa, you know, even, I want to see even the Philippines just recently. The Philippines went through a huge, huge battle trying to get back some of their cities from, from some of the Al-Qaeda. Oh, type, yeah, you know, then Indonesia. I want to say is also like they they follow uh, the, the uh, Sharia law. There's a lot of violence over there that doesn't really get reported. It's it's just uh, like I say it's a huge culture shock. You know, the West we see women and defenseless as not just women, but women and kids as defenseless, and you know you want to help them and stuff like that. And like I said, mm-hmm. over there in, in the Middle East, it's very different. It's just. Uh, I hate to compare them to property, but I mean, that's kind of... Well, no, you're right. So they do. And I want to say slavery was still legal in like... It's a Middle Eastern country, starts with an M, and it only got criminalized in like 2017. Morocco, I think it was, or one of... I can't remember. Like uh, (laughs) It was recent, like 2000s that they just now outlawed. Which blew my mind. And I want to say that, you know, so the Atlantic slave trade, terrible thing. We were 100% part of that. Um, but there was a, another trade of slaves going to the east out of Africa. And I can't remember what it's called. But that was still going on in like the 30s or the 40s where U.S. ships would detain slave ships and free the people who were on those slave ships. Because I saw a picture the other day on, I want to say, like, Cora. And I'm like, that guy looks like he's in chains and that they're taking him out. And I I had no idea. It really opened my eyes up to the fact that, like, slave, or rather slavery is still a big part of parts of the Middle East. And that's where, I, you know, technology is kind of a double-edged sword, you know, um, they say now human trafficking is at a higher higher rate now than, mm-hmm. than ever before. And when I went to Korea, you know, I was just 18 in Korea. And I remember seeing, you know, they had in Itaewon, they have a couple of places where you're not supposed to go and stuff. And they have some girls there, the juicy girls. And uh, talking to some of them, a lot of the girls were kidnapped out of, you know, the Philippines and Jesus stuff like that. Christ. You know, they weren't even Korean girls. A lot of those girls mm-hmm. were, like I said, out of the Philippines or wherever they can they can get their hands on them from. Yeah, uh, at my previous work, they some of the execs went over to the Philippines because we were thinking about opening up a call center there to stay competitive 
because we'd been U.S. based the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up not just because, man, the culture in the Philippines is wildly different than it is here. And they were talking about how they went to a bar and there were girls propositioning them the entire time. Like they had to pay them to go away. They're like, here, here's money. Please leave me alone. Um, and I'm sure along the same lines that a lot of those girls will probably snatch from their families because in the Philippines, it's really poor. Oh, yeah. Uh, one, of, one of the execs grew up in the Philippines, and they went and visited his old home site. And like the, the, the home isn't there anymore, but he talked about how there were, they had like five or six kids, and they had, they had nothing. And I'm trying to remember like what they they essentially played around with dangerous like leftover essentially trash and that was that was their Man. like that's what they did for fun and when he when he talked about it he talked about it like it was just <laughs> normal everyday stuff but I guess when you're over there and that's all you got kids just want to play. I mean it's it's crazy what humans will, you know get used to and, and consider normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being going to Mexico. I was like nine years old, ten years old, and we have family over there, so we're over there visiting in Juarez. And uh, I remember seeing an elderly lady walking with her grand—I would assume her grandchild—and they got to about the end of the street, and I just remember seeing a black car comes hauling ass, screeching. You see two men hop out the back, grab the little kid, jump in the car, and take off. No. And the grandmother just stood there crying, and I mean, literally, it was me and my cousins, like five or six of us playing out in the street when this happened and we're like all right i guess it's time to uh, take it inside now jesus christ so were you there visiting just visiting thank god and i was like man uh i think that was about one of the last few times i visited after that um, oh my god and where was it in juarez right there across the street from el paso right that's there. awful and it's nuts because I think El Paso got rated uh, like number the second safest city in the United States or something like that. And then right across the border was Juarez, which at the time was murder capital of the world. I used to party in Juarez. Really? When I was, when I was in the <laughs> army there at uh, El Paso. Yeah. We used to go across the border. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. And, and apparently it was okay not too long ago because Stephanie, when she was a kid, they would go to Mexico, and that was more into the interior, not not just on the border. Um, but yeah, they used to go like once or twice a year. And she said that her great great grandparents they would go visit. They had to pump water from a well. Their their, their floors were made of dirt. Um, but at the time, there didn't seem to be any danger. And like my mom talked about it when she was early twenties, late teens, something like that. That they went to Mexico. Just they're they weren't scared, but now man, it just seems to be completely you, different. You used to just need a uh, driver's license. That was all you needed to get across the border. Now you got to actually have a passport and all that stuff to to get across. But before it was, I mean, it was people would commute all the time. That was the norm. Yeah. Well, I guess violence starts to get that out of control. You got to put some measures in place. Um, yeah, because what was it that I, I can't remember which which uh, which drug cartel, but they they actually the police did a great job. They spent a long time tracking down the son of the drug lord. They got him, put him in jail, and then 
the, the, the drug lords showed up with like tanks and like heavy duty artillery. Like, all right, fuck it. Here, take him. Yeah, well, once right. it was uh, one of our Chapo's sons. Yeah, okay, that's what it was. Yeah, it was one of our Chapo's sons. And they actually got lucky. Um, they He was at a wedding that they just happened to raid. And they didn't even know he was going to be there. Oh. They just picked him up on accident. So they were like, oh, look at the catch we got. And then, like you said, the cartel showed up with all their, I mean, they got more money than the government. <laughs> so they showed up with better weapons and better, you know, machinery. And the police didn't want the problem. They were just like, oh, here you go. Sorry. Sorry we uh, held you up. Dang, it's such a screwed up situation, too. Because we're the ones who are creating it. Uh, all we had to do was legalize drugs or at least decriminalize them. And really put a lot of time and effort into um, making sure that instead of spending tens of billions of dollars a year fighting the war, we could spend half that amount trying to help people who have real issues. You know, and unfortunately, war is big business, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. They could have, I want to say when Trump was trying to designate the – the cartel is as a terrorist organization. If you notice real quick, Mexico's like, oh, we'll take care of our problem because they know that if once we ne- designate them as a terrorist organization, it's going to be like Iraq and Afghanistan. We don't really mm. got to ask for permission. We can just start sending our you know, special forces guys down there to do whatever they need to do. And they don't want that. They have too much money invested in the government. Yeah. It just, it seems like a, I don't know, it seems like a simple fix. We de- decriminalize it, put, a lo- put rules and regulations in, and then their money starts to dry up. However, I think it's almost gotten too late now because I want to say that the, 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 these drug lords are starting to invest in produce and things like that. So now they're really in the infrastructure of the country itself. Oh, absolutely. Um, they're not getting any dumber. You know, They're, they're yeah. definitely learning how to launder it better and how to stay more relevant and safe i guess you know how to keep the safe money versus everything there of course they're not going to stop they're never going to stop drugs you know i I don't ever see that happening but yeah yeah as much as we would love to you know reagan started the war on drugs back in the 80s and you know it's still still going alive and strong now yeah it just seems so dumb like it's we're we're we've lost it it is completely lost and the only thing that we're doing is screwing people over who need help uh Anyway, so one depressing subject to another. <laughs> what are your thoughts on us leaving Afghanistan and Taliban taking over? Uh, you know, it's a, it was a bittersweet moment, you know. It, it, happy that we were finally not there anymore, but mm-hmm. at the same time, not happy at the way that we did it. You know, it definitely could have been handled better. Um, and I've seen kids' parties that have been, you know, people leave a little more organized than, than that. You know, it, it was just... A shit show, for for lack of better words. You yeah, know, it was it was terrible. Um, we left a lot of people high and dry that helped, helped. us, you know, for the last twenty something years. You know, um, it it was terrible. You know, I, that's that's the only thing that comes to mind. I, I I really don't have, even to this day, I still don't really have the words to you know to s- shed the sweat, blood, and tears over there for a year to come back and for it to just fall apart. Like nothing. Mm-hmm. And then we not only leave out of there in a hurry, but we also give them the equipment they need to start, you know, they didn't have night vision goggles when we got there. They didn't have all the weaponry that they have now, up-armored vehicles and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we just gave it to them as a gift. Here you go. Sorry we invaded your country for the last 20 years. Mm. 
Yeah, uh, it is very disappointing. Um, well, on a brighter note, <laughs> uh, why don't we talk? A so it sounds like you you've done a lot. So first, I thought you had done IT in the army. I did. Oh, you did. Okay, yeah. also medical. Be also, I deployed with a medical unit. Okay. And uh, the way the Geneva Conventions work is, if you're not a medic then they pretty much use you for everything else. So in Afghanistan, I touched maybe three, four radios and a couple of computers, and the rest of the time was pulling security and moving bodies. Dang, really? So, yeah, I was an IT guy doing doing QRS <laughs> and everything yeah. else, and I was like, yeah, this is not how I planned it, you know, for, for this. I should just win infantry. Right, so moving bodies as in, like, the people who came in, into the facility right? So, who just didn't make it? So the hospitals would come in, or, excuse me, the medevacs would come in. Um, we didn't even have a helipad when we first got there. It was just rocks. So we were having to roll these people. Unfortunately, you know, they just got their leg blown off or messed up some way, somehow, and we're having to roll them on rocks. So it's bumpy as hell the next 50 feet to get them into the hospital. And then once we got them into the hospital, we would just roll them into the stretchers. The medics would, you know, take over from there. And then we would either go back outside and continue pulling security or, like I said, a lot of the times they would come in with the male figure. So even though they came in with somebody, we still had to pull security on them, pat them down, and make sure they didn't bring anything with them. that's got to be scary. Because you never know if they're packing or strapped up. (laughs) We got yelled at one time by a young nurse because she said that we were being too rough and – I want to say about two weeks later, we ended up pulling like a machete off of this one dude who had it in his pants. You know how like sweatpants have strings or whatever? Uh, so he tied it to his string and was kind of dangling on his pants thinking we weren't going to find it. And sure enough, we pulled it off this guy. And I mean, it was about a good two foot long machete. And we went to go show her like, hey, man, this is about to be in your throat. You still think we're being too rough? And she kind of backed off after that. But uh, Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> at that time. You said 2010. 2010? 10 through 11. Yeah, that's that's right when they, they really started. Well, I guess they, they were always doing IEDs and bombings and getting into hotels and murdering people. And it, was, uh, it was just crazy. I mean, I saw way more trauma than I ever wanted to. Oh, um, God. Yeah, I can only really um, imagine. And it's just, it's crazy over there. I mean, it's so, like you said, third world country. I mean, if you're fat over there, it's because you have the money. Your family is wealthy enough to even mm-hmm. afford the food to, to even get that big. I remember we had one poor lady. Um, Taliban went to her village, started doing Taliban stuff, uh, tried to decapita- uh, decapitate her, and she was so fat that they couldn't get through her neck. And I'm sure it wasn't helping that they had a uh, dull blade. God so, damn, that's they cut her up pretty good. We stitched her up. Um, she stayed in the hospital for about a week or two, and then we sent her back to the village. And I'm like, so, like, that's it? And they're just like, yeah, I mean, that's all we can do. So we sent her back, and, I mean, we never saw her again, so I don't know if they finished the job or, you know, they finished sharpening the knives by then or whatever they needed to do, but we never saw that lady again. Um, Man. It's just, yeah. That's, yeah. It makes me glad that I was born and raised in America. <laughs> Because there's, I guess there's still terrible, terrible places out out there. And it's just crazy the way that they age over there. I mean, you can tell that they have rough lives. I mean, men that look, you know, the men that are in their 40s look like they're in their 70s, you know, over here in the U.S. And you're like, damn, how old is this guy, you know? And he's only like 30. He's only like 30 years old, but he's looking like he's 70, you know? It's Jesus. Just, they're, they're rough. It's rough out there. I mean, they still use 
all kinds of outhouses. They still grow their own crops. They still. Um, so I guess it's kind of like serfdom in the 1100s, 1200s. Right. You're working to the bone. And by the time you're 40, you can barely move around. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, their lifespan, I want to say about like 50. Usually by like 50, they're, they're kind of already calling it. Dang. So I guess as far as, so I guess you, you've got your overall government the with, well, I guess used to be a president, but is now. Back to the, the Taliban. Yeah, back to the Taliban. And I'm sure the Taliban has some war. Oh, yeah. So I guess when it gets into more local governments, is it just warlords or are there different types of local leaders? Nah, mainly just the warlords. Mm. Um, and the way they would weed out their competition is they would say, hey, we have found a terrorist for you. And so, of course, the U.S. would go and pick them up, interrogate the guy, whatever. And then now we really just created a terrorist, you know, because somebody just wanted to knock out the competition. Damn, it's a lose-lose. That sucks. Um, oh, yeah, so lots of, or it says you, you, you uh, tried several things out as far as your career goes? Yeah, I got out the Army, and uh, I didn't want to do IT. You know, I did it for a little bit, so I was like, no, nah, I want to try something different. So I used the GI Bill. I figured might as, might as well, you know, it would be a good time now. I uh, went into welding, um, and welding was fun. I love working with my hands. Um, mm -hmm. Just the pay wasn't there, and uh, my daughter was about to be born. I'm like, $11 an hour is just... Uh, just isn't gonna cut it, you know. Really? Man, I thought welders were were doing better than that, as far as like in, in like welders, plumbers, electricians. Maybe if I would have went to the oil field or something <laughs> like that, um, I probably could have did better. Uh, but since I was working at like a uh, so here in San Antonio or in San Antonio, they had Wabash, which was basically fixing up trailers. Um, you know, eighteen wheeler trailers would come in, bashed up and stuff, and we would fix them if they needed to be welded or you know the panels put back on, the rivets, mm. all that good stuff. And we would do all that, but it wasn't, I want to say, dedicated welding. So I did a little bit of welding, but I didn't get to actually just work on. Sounds like the Army. <laughs> <laughs> all over again. Story of my life. <laughs> uh, so I did that for a little bit, and then I went to CDO. Uh, I got my CDO. I was driving for about six months uh, doing gravel hauling. And I had one good accident that totaled the truck. I got thrown around the highway a little bit. And luckily, nobody else got injured. Just the vehicle got totaled. And I had just gotten married the month before. So I was oh like, oh, my God. You know, I didn't survive Afghanistan and everything else <laughs> just to come here and die in a damn truck for a company that I don't even have insurance with. Like, if I were to die, my family wasn't going to get nothing out of it. So I was like, you know what? Maybe this isn't, uh, this isn't for me. So I gave that up. <clears throat> and like I said, my daughter was still... I think she was about one at that time or just about to hit one and i was like yeah i gotta i gotta do something else and it is where i had all my experience and that was where my money maker was so i was like you know what as much as i <laughs> didn't want to do it um i gotta go back into it so i went back to it started going back into school doing boot camps um trying to get my certs and just getting back into the it world and then from there i just kind of jumped around uh, i worked for the air force for a little bit uh, supporting them the dod um contracts so that only lasted for a little bit before another they got bought out by another contractor and then they kicked everybody else off and of mm. course kept their people on uh so it just jumped around a little bit from here than there I, I did a little bit of security um setting up the security cameras and stuff like that the access control points for buildings oh, okay um so i jumped around a little bit doing a, a little bit here and there but uh the one that i ended up kind of liking was the 
the uh, the banking industry one. I liked that one. It wasn't too bad. It was close to the house, relatively close. Um, mm-hmm. The only bad side was there's, there was just no growth. You know, I was I could have stayed there for a long time, but I just was never going to do anything different. Yeah, no, I feel you. Uh, my last job, I was there for almost 15 years, and I moved up to a director level. But with it being a, a tech support call center and a tier one for like 90% of what we did, the and again, we were basically all domestic. There's just no real growth for domestic call centers. Some of them are doing it. But with the way that the previous company worked, it was all about profit margin and like really good profit margins, but they made you feel like you were doing a shitty job. So like 25, 30% profit margins uh, on a good month and like 15 to 20 on a bad month (laughs) in quotations. Um, But yeah, so if that's what they're looking to do and hit consistently uh, i mean i was just looking at it um all that growth is going to the philippines india near shore mexico and it won't be long before ai does like and, and so here's the deal with, with call centers is that india philippines and mexico they don't do as good of a job at, at least like we did um, and i'm not saying all american call centers are like this but we regularly were the number one even for their internal call centers um, at these other or at these companies but the issue is that every one of these companies who we did a lot of business with and then lost even though we were number one across the board was in like heavily in the stock market so like and the their goal is what can we do to increase or, or to increase profit in the next quarter and it came down to like cutting all of or nearly all of the onshore work and moving it offshore so if they were 70 percent as effective and like 50 percent cheaper then they went with 70 percent effective and ai is going to come in and ai is going to all again all the ai has to do is be like 70 70 percent as good as the offshore and it's gonna it's gonna sweep across the world all those people are gonna like million tens of millions of people are gonna lose their jobs um and then eventually it's gonna come to to america it it won't be long after that for me i was like i don't want to be 50 or 55 and lose a lose my job and go out into the world and be like oh wait you were in a call center like what were you doing there like you knew that the AI was coming and like, well, I didn't have anywhere else to go. So, um, yeah. So for me, I was like, I'm 30 at the time, 30. Well, I don't know. I was like 35, 36 when I started piecing it together and I really didn't start making moves until I was 37. Cause I, again, I've been at that company for 15 years, worked my way up as a director for eight years, was a manager for five and I was on the phone for two and, um, I was I was I was presented with the opportunity to work here or at least do an interview. I was like, hell yeah, like <laughs> I'll happily take this opportunity. And like, I thought I was an IT person before. I was like, oh yeah, I'm a nerd, whatever. But then I come here and I'm 
meet all these people who just like can go a mile deep in IT. Whereas like I'm just surface. Like I can I can talk about most subjects, but it's it's I'm I'm just scratching the surface. Whereas like you got guys like Matt Stevens, who was in I think the Navy for 20 years, and they were sending him to all different kinds of camps uh, to learn more about IT. And like when you talk to him. He'll be like, yeah, I went to this and went to that. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And it's like very nonchalant. But if you kind of press him a little bit, you find out that like these were the elite um, IT people that they would send. They wouldn't just send anybody to him. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he's he's very low-key badass. Like Gomez, when you talk to him, he seemed – to me, Gomez kind of exudes a little bit of his badassness, whereas Stevens is a little bit – a little bit less so. No, it's you can definitely tell. You know, you can tell when someone's you know BSing you, or when someone actually knows what what they're what they know. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the week that I've been here, like you said, I, I can see both. Man, they they both are on top of their stuff. Um, like you said previously, I mean, it's just it's crazy. I see it as a double-edged sword. You know, same thing. Uh, IT is is going in multiple ways. I heard about the cloud, you know, for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. However, I would say once the pandemic really hit, that's when you really saw the cloud take off. You know, um, like you were saying, uh, everybody's real quick. It's only a matter of time before we get outsourced. You know, everybody's going overseas. I see uh, a lot of the corporate worlds, especially, are, are heading in that direction. Um, the one thing that I will say is, you know, you get what you pay for. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. You get what you pay for. And that's why, like, with managed IT, it's a it's a different animal um especially with security now uh you've got to have security um and if you're in, in a corporation and you're in the stock market w- what's going to take you down and force you to lose a lot of money is when all of your customers information gets stolen and then sold on the dark web and then that is press released just like solar wind solar winds was uh was the company on the rise worth billions of dollars and then once they got hit uh, with with the pentagon stuff like people couldn't were they were just running away as fast as they could because at my previous company we had a contract with or we were doing business with solar winds and fucking cheap <laughs> it was like 20 cents per endpoint which is crazy i don't know how roger did it but uh, he, he negotiated it way, way, way down. Um, and then even even with that, yeah, like I said, it's 15 or 20 cents per endpoint. We were then able to negotiate uh, Datto down to like 78 cents or 76 cents. Um, and at the time, like I, so I didn't know any better. So I was, I was running the, the, the MSP portion mm-hmm. of that company. And when they told me, at first, they started out like a dollar fifty. It's like I can't do that. Like, there's no way. Like, the ten times the amount that I'm paying right now, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> I thought they were bullshitting me because I'm like, I see fifteen or twenty cents for something. You're charging me a dollar fifty. Like, that's not gonna fucking happen. There's no way. And they dropped it. They kept dropping it. Kept dropping it. Kept dropping it. And they're like, "Will, what do we gotta do to make this happen?" We're like, we're really dropping this down for you. I was like, and in my head, I'm like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> like, because even at seventy. 78 cents. I was like, that's still like four times the amount that we're paying. I was like, but okay. Like my techs really want Dotto as opposed to, well, now it's enable, but 
so we were like, all right, let's let's go for it. But even even seventy eight cents is still more than or a lot less than what we're being charged by Datto. But I think we got a different relationship with Datto because like we're one of their their blue diamond partners where they they provide us with a lot of input and it, it's it, it's a it's a good relationship. Right, right. Whereas at the other company and I mean I had my part in making this happen, but it was it was more like we're just doing enough to get us by and like they're they know that they're not making a bunch of money off of us so they don't really right. give us a lot of time um, but yeah no so anyway manage it Dude, it, it's it's a lot of fun um, and as far as your ability like you said to grow it, you get to pick it pick your path which, whichever way you want to go because it's that's all we do i'll be honest i just listening to you know tj you know I can't remember his name. I want to say TJ. TJ? Yeah. Uh, just listening to, to a lot of the people around me, I mean, you can tell that people here, it's not just a, a corporation. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the one thing that I'm already falling in love with. been here, you know, less than a week, and I can already tell you guys have, like, a small-town feel. It's it's very family. It's very homey. Mm-hmm. You know, coming to work is not coming to work. It's it's like coming to hang out with, you know, a bunch of my brothers and stuff. Yeah, you know, it's just, yeah coursework's got to get done but it, you can it just doesn't have that corporate environment of tiptoeing do i got to worry about am i going to offend somebody do i got to worry about you know it's, oh yeah you don't got to worry about it, it, it it seems a lot more you know relaxed uh, and that's what I, I love about it you know the, everybody's willing to help each other um somebody walks in it's hey it's a new face let me go introduce myself it's not a oh what does that person do are they below me are they a contractor are they actually a part of the corporation or you know, it, it's just, it, I can tell it's just a very different feel here. For sure. So Witt's the CEO, and he kind of leads by example. Um, he started this company just with him doing IT work for doctors. So he knows the business inside and out. The only thing that he's not like super ultra aware and knows everything is, is cybersecurity. But that's but that's why we hired a, a director of cybersecurity for. Gotcha. Uh, so Mark Jordan, that I've learned more from Mark Jordan in the last three or four months than I have in the last fifteen years when it comes oh. to security. So if you get a chance to talk to him, you should, because like, he'll he'll talk your ear off, but in a good way. Like, right. Just like whoa, 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 like learning, learning, learning. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, so Wit, like I said, knows the ins and outs of the business. If you can't fix it, he can fix it. Um, um, and then also as far as like not having to worry about offending people, yes, you don't have to do that because Wit just like whatever is on his mind just comes out of his mouth. So you know exactly where you stand with him. Uh, but that's why, dude, that's why I fucking love him because like if he tells you you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job. And if he tells you that you need to improve on something – you better fucking do it because like he's not beating around the bush he's telling you exactly how it is i guess coming from the military background that's what i love about just so far everybody's straightforward you know i don't i don't see a lot of sugar coating around here no, 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 no. everybody will tell you how they feel yeah 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 for sure um and it, you know it it's fun and i, I kind of like the way we're setting up the office now at least for the account management team where everybody's working in the over in that back corner now because mm-hmm. i went over and worked over there for like two hours the other day just because i was talking to tj and i was talking to brian 
That's one of the things I like about working in-house. So the next time all four of the guys are over there, I think I'm going to just go sit and then work until my battery dies, which is about two hours. <laughs> uh, I got to say those XPS laptops, man. Like they're powerful, they're fast, but the battery's the worst. I got a new laptop, and it, it takes like an hour and 45 minutes, and it shuts yeah, that's off. That's how my HP is. Yeah, the HP something i don't know but yeah hour and a half it's dead i had an xps back in like 08 09 and same thing battery was the first thing to go really yep same thing i just and i didn't even, i didn't even think i had it on the charger that long uh, okay. but for whatever reason the battery just gets warped and uh survived a good, good good amount of years until my kids my kids messed it up finally mm-hmm. survived afghanistan just to come home and <laughs> the kids couldn't survive the kids that's how it works that's funny Oh yeah, that's right. You, if you bought that in '08, so were were you in for four years? Yes, I did a little, little over four years. Gotcha. And you said you were stationed in South Korea, also in South Afghanistan or Southwest Afghanistan. Did a uh, Korea first. Uh, filled out my wish list. Sent me to Korea. Uh, after Korea, I got Fort Bliss. Uh, I was at Fort Bliss for a little bit. And in El Paso. Fort Bliss. Oh, El Paso. Yeah. Oh, okay. So both of you were there. Yeah. yeah. And where, where were you in Korea? Uh, I was in K-16. We were on the outskirts of okay. Seoul. Okay. Yeah. I was down in Suwon okay. at the uh, Air Force Base. Korea was, uh, mm-hmm. it was interesting. It was fun times. It was, it was very different, especially being, being an 18-year-old, 18 yeah. 18-year-old in a different country, you know, yeah. first time away from my parents and, you know, getting my own money. And uh, that's a, <laughs> and not just being away from your parents, that's another world. I mean, I have only seen things on TV. I just got around to watching... What is the 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 uh, TV show? God damn it! The it's the the the, the one where they play the kid the kid, the kid games, Squid Games. Oh, Squid, oh, Squid, yeah, games. Squid games. <laughs> yeah, so we just started watching that, and we're or like it two weeks ago or three weeks ago, because at first I was like, "There's too many negative things going on. I don't want to watch this dystopian show. You know, like, just let me watch other things." And I I, I don't watch that much TV. That's just why. We're in like episode seven, and we've been watching it for two or three weeks. It's like <laughs> two or three nights a week tops, or two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that show again, like that's about uh, that's not all of South Korea, or oh, no but way. I mean, but when you do see some stuff, like it's like bright lights and tons of people. And and that's how it is. I mean, we would go out to the nightlife, and I mean, my goodness, it looked like in a like a actual building like a, a re, I don't say residential but like an actual you know nice building and they would have a bar or a club in each floor and I mean the building is like 15 stories 20 stories and that's just one building you got buildings around you know they had plazas that were just filled with I, I mean I think I went to this one plaza I want to say almost every weekend of the <laughs> entire year I was there and I still don't think I, I went to every bar god I dang mean, it, it's 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 just it's very different. Like, it's crazy. That's one thing I loved about the military was just going to travel. I loved getting to know the different cultures. You know, while I was there, I got to learn a little bit of Korean. It's been I'm a little rusty now, but I got to learn a little bit, or the um, not Korean, but uh, what is it? Hang, hangul. hangul. I got to learn a little hangul? bit of it. Han, I think it's Hangul, something like that. So I got to learn a little bit. You know, you got to interact with the taxis. You know, you don't have your own vehicle, so you got to be able to talk to the taxi drivers and you know do all kinds of stuff. Um, 
it's just a, it's very different just pointing something as simple as pointing you know over there if you point with one finger it's like demanding it's like you're telling them to do something you have to point with the whole hand you know like hey can you pass uh, me that could you um when they hand you anything it'll be with two hands it's just it's crazy just learning about different people's you know different cultures you know that's the one thing i loved um especially so young you know getting to see the world at that age you know i, I think my brother's 23 three or something like that and he hasn't left san antonio <laughs> i think he's, he's driven past past san antonio city limits uh so it's just it's, it was very eye-opening yeah oh geez yeah so I, i'm not sure if you were being facetious about with the san antonio but there are people who really yeah i mean they don't they don't leave and i mean nothing wrong home. with it nothing wrong with it but it's just you get a different perspective, I think, when you, you get to travel and you get to see that there's more to the world than just your little area code or just your city. Yep, yep, I agree. I have some cousins who are entering early adulthood and are just fucking it up right now. And they're like they're doing like one course at, at the junior college per semester and working part-time. <laughs> and they've been in the same town their whole life and like they don't plan on moving they just like i was like you gotta move and in fact i need, I need to call him back because he's 21 22 he's just he's not doing shit and not working hard and this is the time where like when you're in your early 20s late teens that's when you should be working just all the fucking time so that you can push your limits and know how far you can go I mean, just not only that, but I mean, you have, you don't realize how much time you have, you know, uh, I will say I should have did college a lot sooner mm -hmm. than trying to do it now, <laughs> married with three kids under oh five, you know, yeah, my it's, mom did that. Yeah. it's, it's doable. I'm not saying it's impossible, but my God, it, it could have been so much easier had I did it sooner. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. like I tell my brothers now, if this is the time they're in the early twenties, I'm like, dude, go do something, go start a career, go to the oil field, go somewhere, you know, whatever, grind it out now. Like you said, right now is the time to, to bust your ass. So that way, when you're in your thirties, forties, you have a little bit of leeway to say, Hey, at least I got this experience or I already have so much money saved up or some kind of idea of what industry you want to go to. You know, I, a lot of the, you know, like you said, a lot of my younger cousins, wife's cousins, they're all in their early twenties or teens and they don't know, have an idea of where they even want to start. You know, mm -hmm. don't know what the hell they want to do. If they want to go to school, if they want to work, um, they don't know shit. They just kind of depend on the parents to to support them right now. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, I mean, I'm ragging on Kyle and Kaylin, but when I was in my late teens and early twenties, I, I was in school, but I wasn't working hard. I was doing just enough to get by, and I was, I wouldn't say I was afraid of success. I was afraid of failure, so I would never set goals, and I was just being. Like, oh. That's fine. And then I started playing rugby. I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I like playing sports. I like being physically active. So that got me focused. And then I met my wife, and that got me tuned into, like, oh, I've been wasting all my time here. <laughs> like, it's time to time to get my shit together. Yep. Funny how family has a, a funny way of setting a fire under your ass. You got yeah. to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is, like, it sometimes it takes an outside force or just – and for me – Getting out of my hometown made a, a big difference. Not to say that Sweeney isn't a, a good place to raise your kids, but for me, like, like or for like Kyle and Caitlin who who are in Lake Jackson, like, move to San Marcos, move to oh not Houston because that's too close. Move to Dallas, 
move out of state, uh, struggle, try different things, and fail. And if you decide to come back to Lake Jackson, then that's your decision. But if you never launch, then you're, you're never going to know what's going on, on on the outside world. I mean, I ne- I've never been to Korea. I can only imagine at 18 just how wild that would be. And then the opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum is like you get to live in this super futuristic city type with just, I don't know, people living right on top of each other. You go to the opposite end of the spectrum where Afghanistan, like people barely getting by, and like you said, or they're basically dead by the time they're forty, and or they look like they're seventy. That's, that's I don't know. That's it's a pretty wild experience. Very grateful, <laughs> very grateful yeah. for for what I have and what what you know what I'm able to get and what I can work for. You know, uh, some of these countries, there's just no hope. You know, they, they don't really have anything to look forward to, you know, that it's same old, same old, you know, they, they don't have the opportunities to, to go and do whatever field they want to do. You know, they're, they're, their parents are farmers. Guess what? Chances are you're probably going to be a farmer growing yeah. up. You know, I, in school, what school? Exactly. Uh, especially for females, you know, what mm. school over there? Um, it's, it's, it's definitely eye opening. Like I said, it's very humbling. You get to going from countries where you're, you're shitting in outhouses to Korea where they got bidets, you know, <laughs> so, push the wrong button. You're going to, you're going to get a surprise. Uh, you know, or just, did you push the right button? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, it's very humbling, very humbling to, like you said, I, I'm very grateful for the country that we get to live in and the opportunities that we have. For sure. I agree. So your certifications, what are they in? I had Net Plus for a little bit, and mm-hmm. then uh, I let it go when I got out of the military. I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. And lo and behold, a couple of years later. Uh, so I'm, I'm back to it right now. I'm actually in school right now. I'm about to take my A plus probably, I'd say, next month. So little by little, I'm just kind of grinding it out again. I did a boot camp, and it backfired. Um, they were all about the government money, just not really helping out the, the people. What? So uh, I signed up for this boot camp, and I don't want to throw their name out there, but basically it was a six-month boot camp. You, you know, went everything from A-plus to CCNA. The catch was you don't get to test until you're pretty much done with the boot camp. So you just went through six months of schooling, and now where do you start? You know, I, I just finished CCNA, but now i got to go back to A-plus and restudy again to figure out, you know. So it was just, it, they got me. You know, that's the, that's the best way I can explain it. They got me. Um, they wanted the GI Bill money. And I gave it to him and didn't get much for it. So I wasted a good portion of it on that. So I learned my lesson with boot camps. And so after that, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sign up for an actual school and go through. What school are you going to now? Uh, right now, WGU, Western Governors University. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I've so, got a buddy who went to W, or he, I guess he might still be doing it, but he's working on different. Uh, they're flexible. Like on his, his, actually, he's working on his badge. He's one of the smartest people that I know. But, and he was. Was he going to A and M or UT for aeronautical science? He's like, oh, wow, super, he's a very intelligent guy, but he dropped out of school because he couldn't stop playing Guitar Hero. <laughs> yeah, I, had, I know that, I know a few people like that. Uh, yeah, but luckily he so he was a manager on my team when I was a director when I first became a director, and we would sit around and talk for hours about Star Wars. 
Um, and again, like it was clear this guy's much smarter than me. Like, what the fuck are you doing here, Michael? And he's like, I don't know. I ask myself the same question all the time. But eventually he got out um, and then went into managed IT. And now he's like a tier three tech for, for uh, Rabbit nice. 7. And he's about to, at this point, he, he might have even been promoted since then. But he's living a nomad lifestyle. Like, he was living in a house in the Brunswick that he hated. It was a fine house. I mean, but so anyway, so he sold that, made a bunch of money because because the housing has right. gone crazy. Bought a truck, bought a trailer, and now they're just traveling around America with with a Starlink internet. And he's able to nice. remote in and get shit done. Nice. No, it's yeah, it, it's crazy. Um, it's it's just like you said, the people you meet. You know, one of my roommates in Korea good dude um he's now a director for an iet company in uh tennessee making making good money and i'm like what am i doing with my life like where did we go wrong man how are you so it, you know it, it's always good to see my friends succeed uh at the same time it's kind of motivating like i want to i want to have that lifestyle as well you know i don't want to just keep living paycheck to paycheck um, right yeah you know. and it it's like when i first got into it like that wasn't the career that I wanted, but it was paying the bills because I, I had a bunch of, so I graduated in December of 2008. So prior to that, they were like, you're definitely going to get a teaching job. Like this is the, it's great. It's a great time to be graduating. And then everything fell off a cliff in 2008. And I, I applied like to a hundred different schools and for a bunch of different positions. And I got one interview and that that interview was only because I was the student teacher there, and I thought I was gonna get it. It was it was it have been it would have been at an elementary PE position, mm-hmm. which at that point in time was my dream job. I was like, I get to run around with little kids all day long. Like to me, there's nothing better. And I'd come home dog tired too, because I mean, because I was I was getting after it. Like <laughs> yeah. I was trying to get these kids motivated, even to this day. Like. I still love little kids. Like I've got my my nephews and my my kids, and I just rile them up just to get them going. Um, <laughs> we, we were in New Orleans just a few weeks ago, um, and I, I was watching all of them. And we actually had the hotel security called on us because we were making so much noise. <laughs> and, and anyway, I'll, kids are so much fun. But uh, oh yeah, so. Uh, Manage IT now. You're going to to uh, Western Governors. What's your degree plan? Uh, cloud computing, actually. Okay. I'm going gotcha. for my bachelor's in uh, cloud. Gotcha. Right. That is the future for sure. I wasn't sure. I was kind of in between cybersecurity and cloud. And then, like I said, once I got with this other company and I saw how big the cloud was taking off, I was like, yeah, that's going to be. Well, yeah, either way, cybersecurity is a good one, too. We were talking with Stevens. Well, you've also got to have the personality for it. Because it's a lot of like checking boxes, and that's that's not me. But <laughs> for the people who are in cybersecurity, they make bank. Oh, it's good. It's good yeah. money. Just like uh, scripting and and you know programming and stuff like that. Love it. I, I love people that do it. Uh, I took an HTML class in high school, and I figured out that part of IT is not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had my ADHD. Oh, squirrel. You know, I just I, I can't concentrate on on the lines and just. You know, yeah. constantly look at everything. I, I just, yeah, 
not for me. Yeah, who was I talking about? I think it might have been Brian McGuess I was talking to, but specifically for cybersecurity, there's a job deficit of like 200,000 in, in the U.S. needed now, and it's going to jump to like 800,000 in like five to seven years. You still got a chance. You can switch it up, <laughs> make a bunch of money. I mean, I don't mind trying to you learn something new. Job. I just, yeah. man, I could. Like I said, I did it in high school. I was like, oh man, this is not for me. I was, like, would I hate my job for two hundred thousand dollars a year and do it? Like, probably, but it's too late now. Like, <laughs> I'm fully entrenched and and I guess more or less people management. And for me, and something else is that I I love I I love building and I like building teams and I like being a part of a team and cybersecurity I guess you can but that's not really what it's about it's more about like did you do this did you do that okay good oh nope this is what we got to do to um, to to uh, mitigate that issue and prevent this and prevent that there's like I, I just want to move forward like let's let's set a goal and let's get after it um, but yeah so anyway but but cloud computing seems to be more interesting to me. I like it. it it's uh, I'm not a very uh, still person, so it's mm-hmm. hard for me to just sit at a computer all day long. That's why I kind of liked the position that I was in. I was able to get up, interact with people. Mm-hmm. I was able to troubleshoot, you know, the phones, the computers, all the way back to the switch, you know, checking everything out. So I, I, I like putting all of that to, to use. Um, and to me, cloud kind of seems like a good mixture of everything. Uh, not only do you if I, the, set, the network needs to get set up, I can do that. But then also on the virtual end, I can also set up the virtual computers. And so yeah. I, I think that's pretty interesting, or at least that's what's caught my interest. Yeah, and it seems like it's a more cost-effective way. and It seems easier to manage than physical servers and are a lot less likely to, to go down. On paper, it sounds really good. <laughs> Uh, until we had to send people home with PCs and stuff, and mm-hmm. I, I got a lot of knowledge on what not to do now. Um, you know, the company that I was with, they were literally just, at first they had us testing out people's laptops, VPNs, making sure everything worked, making sure they knew how to log into it and all that stuff, and then it apparently wasn't fast enough, so they started just mailing people their equipment. And so that's when things got interesting because now you're asking them to become their own techs. Um, you know, I'd be surprised how many people don't know how to set up a monitor to to a desktop, you know, something simple. Uh, how many people struggle with that? What's the Ethernet cord? What is, you know, what's this? What's Dang, that? Yeah. So instead, of, I think they could have did it better by having dedicated technical, you know, IT people to go to these people's houses. Like I heard, you know, and I don't, I don't like to name drive, but there was another f- company that was doing that. They were sending texts to their house to set it up for them. So yes, you might have to spend a little more money on the tech, but now you got less downtime with them figuring out, well, do I have it hooked up right? Is it my internet? Is it, mm-hmm. the, is it the hardware that they sent me? Is it, you know, so it eliminated a lot of downtime versus like I said, our company where it was just uh, you're on your own, figure it out. Mm. Um, so I, I did learn a lot about that. So cloud, yes, it sounds good on paper. However, if it's not implemented in the right way, I, I learned that that can also give you a lot of hangups as well. Gotcha. So, what's your job going to be here? Field tech. Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, you're oh, so you're going to be going on site. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it worked out just, just great. Right. Uh, there you go. Not, not too bad after all. Yeah, right? 
Yes, we we definitely need good people for those spots. And it seems like you're you've also got the personality for it as well. Like you're you're easy to talk to, and 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 also have a conversation with. And that's that's really what people out there need is someone to kind of guide them in the right direction and know how to talk to people. I dealt with the medical unit before, so I I got a little bit of experience with it. Uh, I love doctors. Doctors are super great. They can save your life in a heartbeat. But usually when it comes to IT stuff, they're not the, the brightest on that, that, that subject. That's, well, I mean, that's good. I, I say, yeah, so. Don't get me wrong. It keeps us employed. Yeah, exactly. It keeps us employed. But I, that's, that's one little experience that I've always noticed about, about medical. Oh, very cool. Well, we, we're at a little bit over an hour now, right? Mm, yeah, hour 12. Oh, oh nice. More so. Okay, uh, we should probably wrap it up because I got we got one on one and then I got meetings. Um, but appreciate you talking with me today. I got one more question for you. Yes, sir. Uh, if you had the opportunity and the ability, would you bring dinosaurs back? Do we have to keep modern, modern stuff or? What do you mean? Like modern weaponry, because I mean, if we get to keep modern weaponry. Yeah, yeah. So I, don't, I don't think I don't think dinosaurs would be too too the, bad. But the eh, the current know. world that we are in, yes. Like, would you bring dinosaurs back? Uh, you know what? I, my daughter's been into Jurassic Park lately, and I'm gonna have to say no. What? <laughs> I'm gonna have to say just, no. Just the good dinosaurs, the yeah. nice peaceful ones. Yeah. It started off very good in, in Jurassic Park. You know, it started off modest, and then before you know, you know, people are getting eaten by T Rexes. So I'm like, well, that's just the risk you gotta take. <laughs> that's what the modern weaponry's for. What's exactly. Up, like, you know, I mean, like, I like where you were going, and then you just I, you went the opposite direction. Yes and no. You know, it's gonna. Uh, it reminds me of Zombieland, you know, number one rule, cardio. You know, <laughs> we're going to have a lot of in-shape people. I will say that if, if dinosaurs come back. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, Daniel, thank you so much, buddy. Any parting words? Uh, study, work hard, and uh, never give up your work ethic. Keep, keep working. Yep, I can agree to that. All right, thanks, everybody. Hill Country Tech Guys offer best-in-class support and aim to provide a world-class customer experience for each and every one of our clients. We offer managed IT support, cybersecurity tools and consultation, along with the ability to handle all of your project or infrastructure needs. If you are interested in learning more, please visit our website, YouTube, or social media pages.